customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Welcome to the latest episode of the Shamrock Post Blue Gold Game Edition. Um, my regular co-host, Matt Fortuna, is off. So we brought in uh, the guy who called the Blue Gold Game, who is probably as prepared as anybody for what he saw on Saturday. Um, as guys are playing both ways, duplicate numbers, it's raining sideways, you can't really see anything. Um, so Tony Simino, thanks for making some time for us on this Monday. Um, it's officially the offseason for both of us. But the weather isn't so good that we would be on a golf course right now. But um, I was just curious, like for the start, generally speaking, what do you think on Saturday? Um, and especially, I asked that in the sense of you spent some time with coaches and players during the week. What did you think on Saturday and how did it match up from maybe what you thought you were going to see? Well, for, first, let me say it's a thrill to be on the Shamrock. Uh, my, my dad is going to be so fired up. He listens to every episode. Uh, I expect the bump when we get off the line here. So that's good. Um, second thing is, as you said, most prepared, but then somebody was wearing a, a green number nine jersey. Uh, and I had no number nine on the roster that was on defense. So at one point I was like, okay, I'm supposed to be the most prepared guy and somebody's wearing a number out there. So, uh, but that's to be expected with the spring game. Uh, nothing went according to plan. As you said, the weather was kind of even a little bit unforeseen, but my, my takeaway from Saturday, I think was probably everybody's takeaway is that Sam Hartman, I think looked the way that everyone needed him to look on Saturday. And I just mean that from the standpoint of throughout the first couple of weeks, you know, here he wasn't maybe necessarily picking up the offense as fast as they wanted to. And I think in talking with the coaches, as you mentioned, which is some, one of the best parts of being able to call the game as we get to talk to them really the day before the game. And we got to talk to Sam as well. Uh, it, it was pretty clear that maybe in the last week or two there'd be kind of an evolution that had really taken place that was obvious. Uh, and then it was on full display. And I think we have to also remember that going into the game, we all tell ourselves it's the spring game. Let's not look too much into it. Uh, this is, but you know, what would gonna... be the fun of that? <laughs> yeah, that's no fun. They're, you know, they can only dial up so many blitzes. They can only have, they call 17 different plays. And then, I'm on the halftime with Kyle Rudolph saying Sam Hartman was 13 for 16 for 189 and two touchdowns in just a half acting like, uh, you know, he might be the best quarterback to to walk through that tunnel in a long time. So 
my takeaway though was he looked sharp. That's what they needed him to look like. Um, and it was great to see that. It definitely gives him just, I think, an emotional boost going into the summer. Yeah, that's I mean, that's sort of what I felt walking on. And it's and I understand like Marcus Freeman, you know, no starter, quarterback competition not going. It's also hard to watch Saturday and not feel like, okay, this is this is the Hartman you signed up for when you took him out of the the portal from Wake Forest in the first place, um, which again, Freeman referenced afterwards just about, hey, you go out and you try to find the best guy possible. Like Hartman looked like the best, that best guy possible. It looked like when we were out at open practice, I think on April 1st, he looked like a guy in his ninth spring practice. Right. And on Saturday, he looked like a guy in his sixth season of college football. Uh, and that's a that was a huge difference. And it it felt like I don't know. Is it too much to say that like it sort of lifts sort of the buzz or the ceiling about like you're thinking about like what Notre Dame football could be in a different way today than maybe you were Saturday at one fifty nine. You know, I think that's a great point. And I, I was just thinking about it in the same way that I think what it does <laughs> is it turns and listen, if you follow Notre Dame football closely enough, you inevitably become a pessimist at some point. But I think it just makes you look at the schedule through the optimistic lens as opposed to the pessimistic lens, which I think is a really good place to be, especially because of the way the schedule plays out. And it, it's an easier runway. We talked about this a lot on Saturday. They don't start with Ohio State, kind of ease their way into it. Now they got to fly and do all the stuff with going out to Navy and survive that and then survive in NC State. But I just think that if it didn't go well on, on a Saturday, then you're talking about, okay, you know, do we have a quarterback competition? And again, there's no starter that's been named, but I think it's pretty clear who has the edge going into the fall. And do we have to deal with that in the first few weeks of August and talk more about, well, they brought this guy in from Wake. He didn't look the way he was advertised, but instead it's, he looked as advertised. You got a really veteran guy. Now you can look at everything else other than quarterback. And if you're not having to spend your time debating quarterback in July uh, or August, I don't know. I think it just makes you an optimist going into the season as opposed to a pessimist. Uh, and we know it just takes one bad Saturday to make you a pessimist again. But <laughs> I think you're right that it it does lift the burden. And then it lets you, I think, focus on all the stuff that I, you know, when I consume your content or or, or listen to others around the program that, that write about the state of affairs, we can think more about receiver. We can talk more about uh, defensive line because we're maybe not going to be as concerned about quarterback uh, as we have been the last couple of years going into the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you sat down with the coaches and talked to some of the players during the week, like I was interested in sort of the everything else beyond quarterback. Like, what did you get a sense they were curious about? Um, and how did that maybe line up with a Jaden Greyhouse playing the way that he did? Um, or, or maybe Jaden Mickey getting some of his confidence back with that pick of Tyler Buckner? Like, what, how did the everything else maybe line up with some of the expectations you heard on Friday before the game? Yeah, I think it kind of aligned with everything that they said to us. One thing that Kyle Rudolph mentioned uh, that we talked about, I, I can't remember if we really got it across on the broadcast as much as we'd like to, but more than I've ever talked to a staff and I've talked to a couple here over the last few years, these guys were all in lockstep. Like we heard the same stuff from the top down from Coach Freeman to Golden uh, through even some of the players too. So that was the first takeaway is they did all kind of echo the same message about staying in the middle. And you can tell they've, they've had it drilled into them, but receiver and a defensive back, you kind of mentioned those two 
uh, with with Mickey making the pick, but receiver was the spot I was most curious about. And I think, you know, by evidence of what happened throughout the week with Lorenzo Styles leaving, there was a confidence about receiver that maybe came through by just that because the competition's gotten so good there that when you saw Jane Thomas on the first drive play the way he did, great house really popped. They just look good across the board. I think maybe more sure-handed and solid than they have in recent years. Maybe not a guy like when he came into a couple of years ago, Kevin Austin, that you knew was going to kind of be a true uh, dynamic potential playmaker to really stretch the field. But I just think there's a depth there. Uh, and the three, the three freshmen we asked him about, uh, Marcus Freeman, when we talked to him, he said pretty much flat out, like, all three are going to play. They're going to probably see the field at some point. Now, you know, going into the fall who knows what's going to actually shake out. And I don't think we expect Jaden Greathouse to have 10 catch games throughout the year necessarily, but they seemed really confident in those guys. And I think it, it showed, which was a good sign. Um, defensive back, I think is a huge strength. And, and I, I just think that, like you said, Mickey made the pick. If I was looking back at my notes from last year's spring game, we weren't talking about Benjamin Morrison. We were talking about Jaden Mickey. And that's who Marcus Freeman really talked about as the guy they really found when they brought him in. So if he's able to take the step and you suddenly have him and Morrison with Hart and Clarence Lewis, we talked to Al Golden, and I think he, he was pretty excited about, listen, if we have these guys playing at corner that way, they can really get creative defensively. Whereas if you're having to worry about can guys hold up in man coverage, especially when you get you know Ohio State, USC on the mm-hmm. schedule, you, you're, you're kind of hamstrung as a, uh, as a coordinator. So I think that that accompanied with the fact that you know, it's his second year as DC, and he he was one that brought it up. He said, "I didn't get here till after the Super Bowl last year." So they were kind of having to sprint through the schedule just to get it all installed last year. They got the whole defensive staff back. I, I think those are the two positions, receiver and corner, that they were excited about, and then they both, I thought, really did pop uh, on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, how many times do we talk about Notre Dame football and the team speed comes up, and it's 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 never about like, well, they need faster running backs it's their corners and receivers can't sort of get out and be ohio state usc uh and i think even you look back at last season the the way the season started we're like are you really going to put mickey and morrison out there and they did um and then the way the season ended where cam hart is out Tariq bracy has a hamstring and you're going against caleb williams and usc they just didn't really have the horses to put to match up and now you sort of look at this corner group, you know, and safety is still, you know, developmental. But with that corner group, they really, they should have the horses. And like Christian Gray is a, an early enroll freshman, didn't play. Um, you know, you don't really want to bank on mid-year enrollees to to do what Mickey or Morrison did. But, I mean, Christian Gray is somebody that staff is, you know, privately very high on um, as well. So it just, it feels like a more athletic team to me outside the numbers. And I think, you know, some of that showed a little bit on Saturday. I totally agree. And I just think that uh, when you looked at the schedule, it's, it goes back to like optimistic or pessimistic. I look at corner now and I'm not, I'm really not freaking out about Ohio state. Now I'm sure the 23rd will roll around and we'll freak out about Ohio yeah. state, but it's like, you've got an all American, like Benjamin Morrison in theory could be the kind of guy we saw sauce Gardner here two years ago comes in and you can just shut down half the field. And then you don't need your safeties to be Kyle Hamilton. They can be DJ Brown and they can be really solid safeties that have played a ton of football that might not make the play going from the far hash to the sideline and the pick against Florida state, but they've got a corner in front of them 
And if they're doing their job, then then you're set. So I, I think that's a great sign at that position. And I, I, you're right. It's it's we're not accustomed to seeing that at least in the time that I've been around the program. And I think it was Kyle Hamilton who, in one of the meetings uh, with Coach Freeman, just pointed out when he was asking a question, he's like, "This is as deep as I've seen this team kind of across the board." And I think about even like running back. The fact that Chris Tyree moved a receiver tells you about running back too. So at these really, you know, obviously running backs always been pretty good here, but receiver, running back, corner, when you have that kind of depth there, I just think, you know, injuries at those positions are pretty frequent. It helps you in that capacity, but it also just helps you keep guys fresh throughout the year. You know, since you spent time with Al Golden, I was curious if if he had expectations for maybe what some of the younger linebackers would look like on Saturday, because that was another position group where like, I don't know if Jaden Osbury or Drake Bowen or Nolan Ziegler, if they have like big roles this season based on Jack Kaiser and J.D. Bertrand and Maris Leofau and, you know, Jalen Seed coming out a little bit. But they look like players to me in a way that, like, the freshmen or mid-years don't automatically look like. Um, and that that position group is, like, kind of a deeper cut in terms of, like, a, a B-side to take away from the spring game. But, like, I yeah. thought that position group, like, showed some stuff, whereas if I was Al Golden, I would feel I would feel pretty good about it. I'm looking at a quote here that I wrote down from Al Golden in our meeting. He said, uh, Nolan Ziegler, as good of a spring as you can have. So he was okay. high on him. Uh, he also mentioned Jay Nosberry, who I thought looked great. I mean, he should have had a pick six in yes, the game. No doubt. Handball. Should have taken it the other way. I was also, um, they, they were nice enough to give me access to the scrimmage a week prior um, in the stadium. And I thought uh, uh, Osbury looked great there. Uh, in the stadium, which I think they actually run a few, you know a few more. It's a little bit more dynamic of a scrimmage because it's not open to the public, so they, they there can't be tape on it. So that that sometimes they say is maybe a better way to really understand right. who's picking up the concepts because it it doesn't get very complicated <laughs> in the game we saw on Saturday. But to your point, I think that at linebacker they're really excited. Um, I didn't see Bowen on the field much, if if at all, on Saturday. I didn't just catch him much, but they're obviously really excited about him. I think it's a great situation at linebacker because they've got those older guys like Kaiser and Bertrand, like you said. And I think the hope is they come along throughout the year. I know uh, Tui Alamaka had a sack as well. Uh, I think that position, uh, Al Golden pointed them out, thinks they're strong and coming along. And again, they can probably feel good about them because of the strength, again, at corner. You're not having to ask them to do too much. Do the simple responsibilities. The rest will take care of itself. It's kind of the vibe I got from Al Gold. Yeah, it's, it's like when the season rolls around, you can ask Kaiser and Bertrand to do the complicated stuff. And that's, yeah. you know, you get somebody like Tua Halamaka playing Viper with Jordan Botello. I mean, when you watch Junior Tua Halamaka, I think it was, it was on the first series, he beat Joe Alt with an inside move and like got in Hartman's face and Hartman completed the pass. But if you're beating Joe Alt, like that's a good sign for where your career is heading as a as a defensive end if you're junior to Al Maka. A hundred percent. and Joe Alt, uh <laughs> we got to meet with him too. Easily did, he, uh, did you was he wearing his helmet when you met with him? <laughs> so I was asking about that when it was <laughs> happening. I was talking with producer Ryan Burke with NBC. And the interview started, and I'm not, you know, he's got a ton going on down there in the truck to make sure everyone's getting organized. He said, Does this guy know he's got his helmet on? And he looked, he just wrote, said back to me, he goes, I didn't even realize that. And I said, It looks it looks ridiculous, but no, <laughs> Joe Alt is easily one of the funniest guys uh that we met with this week and around that room. And and obviously, I mean, he's an amazing player. And to your point, if you're that that is where you, I think you can learn some stuff about the yeah, spring. Yeah. Because Joe Alt's not 
taking plays off in the spring game the same way that you're you're dumbing down the playbook and, and maybe it doesn't look the way that it normally does on a Saturday. Like he doesn't want to get beat, right? Like he he's a guy that doesn't give up sacks. So if you do get by him, you can put a little note down and say, okay, that's definitely a feather in the cap of of a sophomore that's coming on here in, in junior two Alamaka. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The staff overall, I don't know how many of the coaches you end up meeting with. Um, if you spend some time with Jared Parker, you mentioned Al Golden. Um, just sort of like the staff overall, your impressions of them. And like, I, I do think like when you mentioned they're kind of in lockstep and use the same verbiage, that's, I don't think it's indicative of necessarily winning more games than otherwise, but it does sort of speak to the culture around the program that uh, Marcus Freeman has has tried to instill. Yeah, I'm, I guess I'll editorialize here a little bit. So, you know, these these are my words, not not the staff's. But in meeting with them, I just get the sense, like in year two, it's it's completely Marcus Freeman's vision and his team and his program at this point. And that's not to say that it wasn't last year for any reason other than the fact of the way he got the job. I, I, I think sometimes now it's been such a whirlwind. Like BK leaves on a Monday, Freeman's the coach on a Friday. Tommy Reese is putting out a video the Wednesday in between where he's doing Leonardo DiCaprio gifts and he's not going. And it's just, there was, to me last year, it was like, and you guys have talked about this. The walls are coming down on us. We need to keep it up, make sure the program sticks together. So everyone was kind of bought in on like, let's defend the castle at Notre Mm -hmm. Dame. I think it was great. And I think that 
they deserve a ton of credit for kind of bouncing back from the 0-2 start. And I think that's a testament to everyone kind of rallying uh, around a cause. But I just get the sense like this year, and of course, the offensive coordinator change uh, probably plays into this a little bit because Marcus had to go out and make a decision, which there's been plenty of discussion about how that decision came to be. But ultimately, he made a decision and brought a guy in. Then he went and got uh, Gino Gadouli, which I think is a really interesting addition because of the Cincinnati connection. Um, and he's definitely just got, you know, when you're picking the guys, there's just, I think, a different level of, I don't want to say commitment because I'm not saying Tommy Reese wasn't committed, but it's just, it's like when you get recruited by someone too. If someone points you to a, a points you to a position, I don't know. There's just a different feeling there. So because of that, the meetings this week with Coach Parker, Coach Golden, who came in last year, there was just a synergy um, that I think by the nature of how things went down last year, you could not replicate. And so, so that's what I think it uh, stuck out the most. Coach Parker seems like a, a great guy, fun guy, uh, mm-hmm. really has his, I think, takes a ton of pride in the position that he's been uh, put into. And again, a shortened timeline because of how things went down. But I think that uh, he, along with Coach Gadouli, it does seem like they've really got their arms wrapped around the offense and the quarterbacks. And because Coach Gadouli can focus on the quarterbacks, you see Jared Parker get a chance to really kind of dive into what they want the offense t- to look like. Gadouli, I, I have not really spent much time uh, around him or with him. Um, so I was interested in maybe a little bit more of your impression, either talking to him or just talking to Hartman and Buckner about him. Yeah. the um, So I actually met Coach Gadouli in the fall because I had a Cincinnati game with ESPN. Yeah. And so he was the OC there. So that was where actually I've talked to him the most, probably more so yeah. than since he got to, to South Bend. And he was really impressive. And that was his first year as the OC at Cincinnati. And of course, you know, we all remember when Cincinnati came in here with Desmond Ritter, that's kind of what really makes him stand out as he turned Desmond Ritter into a college football playoff quarterback, which if you do that, Cincinnati deserve a ton of credit for that. And so my impression, um, because I haven't talked to him since he got on campus, but I did shoot him a a text, you know, welcome him to South Bend. But the, the two quarterbacks, I think, raved about him. Uh, both Sam Hartman and Tyler Buckner just said they love his demeanor. They love the way that he – the word we heard, um, I think, from both of them uh, or just a bunch of people around the staff, too, was just even-keeled. Make a bad throw, you know, shake it off right back to it. And, and don't get too high either, right? And it was just they kind of know what they're going to get from him uh, whenever they go into a drill, whenever they go into a practice – and I think that it'll be interesting to see how the dynamic works this year. Of course, Tommy was the offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. And I just wonder how that'll change when you have a coordinator who's focused on calling the plays, but you also have this second voice that's the quarterback coach you can kind of go to and lean on and say, hey, when Coach Parker brings in this play, you know, what should we be doing? I, I don't know. There's just, a, I think there's an added benefit to having that second sounding board, a guy that's done it, a guy that uh, you can kind of lean on in the room. Uh, whereas when you're the coordinator and the quarterback coach you call on the play you don't have that third voice to kind of go to and say hey when he calls this play down what should we do so i i like the dynamic there and, and at least those two guys and he's only been here for i think what two and a half months maybe um they, they really i think raved about just his demeanor and, and he's been a really calming influence i think on the quarterback room i think uh, i'll be interested to sort of see how that plays out maybe less so with hartman than like the guys behind him because they had a similar dynamic with chip long and tommy reese when chip right. long was the oc but reese was the quarterback's coach and i think that was really good for ian book at the time who was not uh you know a 35 game winner 
Uh, he was the guy backing up Brandon Wimbush and like, is this going to play? He's got some natural accuracy about him. Like he needed a lot of development. And when your quarterback's coach is just your quarterback's coach, I I would think that would lend itself to like more of a micro development. So whether you're Buckner, Angeli or Minchie, I would think that the, the staff dynamics would be a real positive. Yeah. And I think that it's probably really good for Tyler Buckner, just because I think that he's been uh dealt pretty tricky hand i think every year he's been on campus um and and this is going to be a tricky year for him again and so i think just the fact that yeah Gudili can come in here and i think just maybe try to keep him in the right mindset if nothing else and be constantly working with him and again you know if if he can you know keep the right mindset in theory he should be in as good of a position to be the starting quarterback a year from now if, if of course he doesn't win the job i guess there's no starter yet we can uh i guess <laughs> in the company line for now but you know if, if everything goes the way we expect it to go i think Gino Gaduli is going to be huge for as you said yeah sam hartman probably knows more or less what he has to do to to make it work in 2023 mm-hmm. but it's buckner 24 who knows it's going to be in 25. Maybe it's again, a second year of Tyler Buckner, if all things go really well. So that's, I think you're right, where you're going to see Gino Gadouli really maybe try to get his fingerprints on, on Tyler Buckner. And I think, you know, in talking to Tyler, I think he really likes working with Gino Gadouli. He, he really appreciates the way that they've, they've bonded here in the first few months. I mean, overall, uh, I was interested from the blue gold game perspective, like working with Kyle Rudolph, working with Kyle Hamilton a little bit. Caroline Pineda was there. Um, you know, it's had some experience with NBC and Peacock in the past. Um, trying to like just pull a, a new team together. Uh, Hamilton, the both both Kyle's not a lot of experience in this role, so they're sort of like learning on the fly what that part of the experience is like while you're trying to figure out who green number nine is. <laughs> yes, green number nine. I still don't know who it was. I, I, I think it was Tyson Ford. Uh, but yeah, that was that was it. That was announced in the press box. We're on the other side of the stadium from you. Um, we need Alan Wazalewski to, to run across well, they the field. Sent a PR. I, I give them, Alan and Katie are great. I've worked with them for a ton of years and I saw them put out the PR announcement that 95 Tyson Ford was going to be 75. So I was ready for that. And I think it was wearing nine. So I just guessed, so yeah. I don't know. Well, <laughs> we'll get to the bottom of it someday, but to the point about the, the broadcast and the team, I did feel left out because I was the only person on the broadcast team that has never attended Notre Dame. So I felt like it was way <laughs> out of my my depths with Rudolph Hamilton and, uh, of course, Caroline. Um, I will say that, you know, NBC, they, they are so fun to work for. And they put together, I think, a great combination of, of tiles, really. And, of course, in Rudolph and, and Hamilton, one guy that – and Kyle Hamilton, who's – you know, he played under – Coach Freeman when he was the DC, right? That was his last year. And so he knows a lot of guys in the room. So I thought Kyle gave us a great uh, perspective from down on the sideline when he talked to Coach Freeman at the end of the game. We got some good stuff out of him. Um, but Kyle Rudolph, this was his first game ever in the booth doing uh, any color commentary work. And he's going to do USFL this next week in Birmingham uh, with Paul Burmeister, who's the radio voice of Notre Dame football, who does USFL with NBC. But I thought he was he was great up there. I guess his a lot of his broadcast experience before this was he, I guess, every year at the 3M Open on the PGA, PGA Tour Live does some on-course work, which I was I was stunned by. Um, but he's a natural. He sees the field really well. That it was it was fun. I always like working with people that are new to it because you do get to t- kind of try to help put them in spots to mm-hmm. hopefully make them shine. 
who knows what the what the people that review the broadcast are saying uh, today. But uh, I thought just Kyle's perspective is great. You can tell he really follows the program closely too, despite having spent 12 years in the NFL. He, he did not need any help getting up to speed. He was all caught up on everybody when he came in. At both Kyle's, I thought, really asked some great questions in the coaches' meetings, which uh, that, that to me is what's sometimes the most interesting because I, I try to go in there and, and ask some big picture stuff. But, you know, Kyle Hamilton was asking about, you know, personnel groupings. And he asked, uh, for instance, like Jared Parker, are you going to see any 10 personnel this year just because of the way the roster makeup is? And that's something I never would have thought of. And then, you know, they line up and, of course, they have the weird playbook, but there's a five wide receiver set here or there. And you start mm-hmm. thinking about what's this team going to look like. So just having that was great. And I thought both those guys um, were awesome. And, and then Caroline's a great story just because she was a student uh, broadcaster when I was working at Notre Dame more full time. So it's great that she's been able to get on the sidelines a couple times uh, with NBC and and work with them. So four, four broadcasters is is always a little bit daunting because there's a, it's a fast game and it's, I think, an hour and 45 or close to two hour window. And we got to make sure we get everybody in. But as I said, Ryan Burke, who was our producer, I thought did a great job of kind of just laying out a plan for us to loosely follow. And I, I hope it came across that <clears throat> those guys got their insights in uh, throughout the two hour show. Yeah, and it's, I mean, I think that NBC does a good job of like kind of bringing, especially with Peacock, like letting people sort of learn, right? Like it's not, not everything needs to be like this super slick finished product, especially for a spring game. Like, and I think that, you know, Rudolph, I, I think back to writing about Brady Quinn when he was getting in with Fox and how talking to Joe Davis about how like it took Quinn some time to figure out how to say, 20 words and 10 words, um, you know, and think about it. Like Brady is like <clears throat> stiff is not the right word, but like, so, you know, kind of can be formal. Uh, and Joe Davis, is like, think about we're at a bar together and we're just watching football and yeah. like that. So to sort of see like where announcers go, like that's kind of a fun progression too. And I'm sure you've worked with a bunch who have like, you know, gone or like changed their styles or just sort of evolved as they go broadcasting is the, in my opinion, a lot of jobs are like this, but in broadcasting, I find it more than anything. It's the most frustrating uh, world where you get this response. It's okay. We'd love to put you on the air, but you got to get these reps. And then you go look for the reps go in order to get these reps, you need to have done these previous reps and those reps don't exist. So it's like, if we're going to put you on to to do football at NBC, there's only eight Notre Dame football games a year. And so if the one Peacock game, well, to do that, you got to do football. You know, we got to see your football tape. You're going to do Notre Dame football. Where is Kyle Rudolph going to go get his football while he's in the NFL? So to your point, you have to kind of create the opportunities. And the same way that the spring game is an opportunity for some freshmen or early enrollees to get on the field, it's when NBC, I think, should be trying out different people. Give Kyle Rudolph a chance to cut his teeth. So now that whether it's at NBC or, or somewhere else, if, if there's opportunities, he's now got some tape, he can go show somebody. Same with Kyle Hamilton. I mean, who knows how long his career is going to go uh, or what he wants to do in his off seasons going forward. But now he's got some TV tape. Uh, it's a great benefit to guys that have obviously done a lot for the football program, but also the university uh, to get those opportunities. And and yeah, I mean, there's only so many places that they can try to innovate. I know that uh, it didn't end up working out, but when they had that sky camera uh, on the side, oh. was it the Mexico game <laughs> years ago? Slightly controversial sky camera, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love that they tried it there. What people don't know, I don't think, is that they tried it in the spring game 
the the spring before we were part oh, of oh yes i remember that the, yeah the wind i believe the winds were too high that day they couldn't truly try it the way they wanted to or something happened but of my my point is that you'd prefer to try that uh sky cam in full during the spring game so you can test those things out but if you don't use this as an opportunity to kind of try some new voices do some new things you know marcus freeman wore a, wore a mic the whole game he's not going to do that throughout the year but who knows? It gives you a chance to innovate elsewhere. I love that they try to push the envelope a little bit. And I'm obviously partial that I love that they let me sit up in that booth uh, during the spring game as well. Well, I, I wanted to pivot a little bit. I mean, you do the coaches shows for football and basketball. So you spent a little bit more like off the cuff time with Marcus Freeman than most. Um just sort of your impressions of that experience with him. Cause I I mean, I've sort of enjoyed I think the the X's and O's stuff, and this was true with Brian Kelly too, like that stuff is awesome. I love when coaches will sit down and just like talk through a play, what was supposed to happen, what did happen, why it worked, sometimes why it didn't. That, those probably don't make it into coaches' shows very often. But like what I was interested in sort of your experiences with Freeman and like that aspect of it went because like the you're filming those, I think, right after the games. Am I Right, right after your, right after your Monday press conference. So okay, after, I'll, I'll watch pulled the, off a little bit on the phone, and I'll hear Pete Sampson uh, yeah. say, "Hey, Marcus, yeah. you know, tough start. You're zero two yeah. against Marshall." <laughs> <laughs> and then I, then I get to talk to him next. No, but it's right after that, so it's like okay, right after he's kind of been prepped on what we're going to talk about a little bit in, in that way. Um, but to your point about what he's like, I have been. The, the craziest thing, obviously, I got to do one year with Coach Kelly and then Coach Freeman last year. And so he'd never done a coach's show because he's a first-time head coach. And it's a thing that when I stepped in, it was nice after Jack Nolan left was that Brian Kelly kind of knew the drill. And he just – he this is the coach show. I just do the Brian Kelly thing and we get out of here. And it's He made it easy. He was great. Uh, with Coach Freeman, I, I think the first time he sat down, I kind of had to just explain, like, here's the format. Because it obviously was not – and nor should it have been the thing at the top of his list of things he was preparing for <laughs> as he got through the season. Um, but I always forget he's like three years older than me. And I just like, so he is kind of, at least from a generational standpoint, you know, closer to me than of course, Brian Kelly was, or even a lot of the players that I interview. So it's, it's actually unique because I'm used to either talking to someone older, whether it was coach Boyer, or coach Kelly or someone, you know, Gen Z now uh, with a college football player. So, I loved throughout the year. I think we got really comfortable talking through plays and talking through stuff, but the first couple were, were not easy because it was a loss against Ohio state. And then really, of course, you know, that one might have been to be expected, but the Marshall one at that time, I think it'd be really easy, you know, who knows to say, Hey, can we blow this off or do something like that? Or cater the questions a certain way it was fine. Like he was super easy to work with. And I think just as everybody who's been around him, it's really just, I think, amazing to see how much of himself he is and how much of himself he's kind of willing to be um, when he's around. I think you guys in the presser, he's like this. And then he comes and he's the same way with me. And he's, my favorite thing is to see what he does around campus. He goes to all the basketball games. He was hitting home runs at the charity softball um, event a few weeks back. It, do, it doesn't feel contrived. Um, it feels totally earnest and genuine. I was actually looking here. Uh, Sam Hartman, when we talked to him, we said, I asked him just the last question was like, when you decided to come here, cause he raved about Notre Dame and this and that, I said, what was your discussion like with Marcus Freeman? And he said, I wanted to come meet him and just make sure 
he was who he says he was. <laughs> I see this cool guy that's wearing the white sneakers all the time. I said, does he always wear these white sneakers? And he came and he said, like, yeah, he wears the white sneakers. And he said, this is just a genuine guy. And so mm-hmm. he, you know, he said, I wanted to make sure it was real. And it was. And my only hope for, for coach Freeman is that as he goes along, you know, this is year two, it's, it's not even, I mean, it's month 16, maybe that by month, a hundred, you know, 200, however long it goes, he's able to be this way. Cause you know, this job can, I think really suck that out of you. If, if you, yeah. if it doesn't go the way it's supposed to go and, you know, we're only in year two, but so far he seems the same as he was when he got the job and to now. So spending time around him, I think he's as advertised and it's, it's fun. You know, I hope they, I hope the wins keep coming because it'll be a test if for some reason they don't, but as, as long as things go the way they have been, it's, he's a joy to be around. Month 200 would be year 16. So I'm, I'm <laughs> guessing he probably will have moved on to something else. Um, okay. Or it's yeah. That this job, in his early, early fifties, right? <laughs> whoa. Um, if he, if, that would be the true test of Marcus Freeman. Can he defy the age uh, accelerant of being the Notre Dame head football coach? Um, like the pre and post presidency. Yeah, I feel like he might be him. able to do it. I mean, if anybody can, like if you're running around campus every day and lifting with the team uh, while having six kids, like you know, may- yeah. maybe he maybe he can beat science on this one. I don't know. It's, uh, it'd be fascinating. I don't know if you or, or listeners got a chance to see some of the mic'd up stuff we had of him during the game. But again, to me, that's just a great example. Like it, it is, it does at least to me feel genuine when he was <clears throat> uh, Kyle Freeman or Kyle Freeman, Kyle Hamilton went to him and asked him, okay, coach, you know what the play call is going to be? He said, uh, second and seven just puts his head down. What's he's asked Jared Parker, what's the play call. And then he listened to the defensive call and then just yelled out to Kenny Minchie. He goes, Minch, Minch, it's cover two. It's cover two. And yeah. he's just, he's, he's, He's having fun in a way that I think is infectious for the team. And and I don't know, you know, if you're a hardcore Notre Dame fan, you're listening to this. I'm sure there's people that are listening saying, we don't need a guy that's just having fun. We have to go win and win our, you know, we need, need another national championship. And I agree. And I think he agrees. We need to win a national championship. But he is, I think, the first to say that the only way he's going to be able to bring a national championship to Notre Dame is to be himself. And he's gotten that feedback from every coach he's leaned on. When I asked him about his evolution as a coach, he just said, you know, you have to be yourself. I'm still doing that. We're going to ride the middle or whatever he's been talking about, not get too high, not get too low. So I think the biggest mistake you can make as a coach is I need to be something I'm not in order to make this work. And I think you just have to live with it. You say probably everyone in their profession too. It's like the only way this is going to work is if I'm who I am and the chips are going to fall where they do. And I think he's really committed to that. So I think that's great. And if, if it works, it'd be amazing. If it doesn't work, he's probably going to sleep well at night because he's being who he's supposed to be. He de- he seems very aware. And I'm not saying Brian Kelly wasn't, but like, yeah, of look, there are 365 days in the year. You got to make the 352 when you're not playing a game, you want to be part of them. Um, and so I think he does a very good job of that, not just for his team, but for himself. Like, yeah. I don't think he is like, there are coaches in college football. Some have won national championships, many recently who are, are miserable for those other 352 days of the year. But I just, I don't think Freeman can bring himself to be like that. Um, and that's a different conversation about how maniacal you need to be to win it all. But like, he is going to enjoy doing it his way. And like you said, he'll be able to sleep at night with the outcome. And I think he 
learned a little bit. I did not hear him say any of this, but I just get the sense. This is me, you know, assuming we saw kind of some of that frustration at times throughout the year on the sideline. Like I think there were times where he took it really seriously and he was living and dying with every result. And yeah, they lose to Stanford. Like the sky was falling. It was not good, but the quote he had, and I think you guys talked about it. I can't remember if it was this podcast or the uh, Irish illustrated one where people were kind of like, wait a second. Are you so uh, process oriented, not results oriented in the spring? Yeah. I wrote about that. That was just like, that was an interesting way to look at it. And I was like, you know, I, I get it. But it also fits in like when you're saying there's some old school hardcore fans who be like, no, it's results only. Um, And I think that sort of speaks to Freeman's sort of new age look to like the other 352 days of the year matter too. It goes back to last year. He just said, I know when we talked to him in the meeting, he said, last year we were racing to win every day. And this year we're just trying to keep like being the best version of ourselves or, or get better every day. Which I thought was again spoke to we're under attack. <laughs> the coach just left to go to LSU. We have to find a way to just keep this together. And then I think you get into meetings, you get into um, the fall, and you're like, we need to prove to everyone that like everything's okay. And when you're trying to prove everything's okay, you're just trying to do everything possible to win every single press conference meeting, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And now I think he's comfortable. He's come back from zero and two and a tough start. And I think there's just a kind of a, a more quiet confidence that like he doesn't have to necessarily. Prove it, and again, you know, we're say, it's easy to say this stuff in the spring because yeah. you, you know how it goes. We're gonna turn after your quarterback throws for two hundred yards in the first half. It's very easy to say this stuff in the spring. <laughs> yeah, so I guess check back in September. But I just, I don't know. I, I think that it's it's fun to just see him, like you said, embrace all of this, what it is, the good, bad, and otherwise. And and I'm excited to just kind of be close to be along for the ride. Mm-hmm. I don't want to pivot to basketball a little bit because you're you the radio voice for Notre Dame hoops. Um, I don't know how many seasons you've done that, but like you've certain two, okay, two seasons. So the sort of bounce back rebirth of two years ago, and then sort of the, the end of the Bray era last year when look, the season didn't go according to plan for anybody. Um, what that experience was like and just sort of being as close as you are to basketball, what you feel like somebody like Micah Shrewsbury can give that Notre Dame hoops maybe needs in this moment. So I took over for Jack Nolan a couple of years ago, a good friend of mine who was, who was at our wedding in, in October. And I was really kind of laughing in his face when they went to the tournament last year. He missed it five years in a row. <laughs> and I get on the job and within six months. They're in Dayton, double overtime. St. Almost- Patty's Day, baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. There was Irish whiskey on the plane, that whole thing. Um, and then we got the opposite end of the spectrum this year. So I've I've lived both sides here in two years. Um, big picture, it's a super fun job, obviously. And, and I think that my takeaway from this year was we just talked about how Coach Freeman is who he seems and Coach Bray is obviously who he seems as well. It was great to work around him. Um, And I think it was just a bummer that this year had to go the way it did because I think everybody on campus that's played for him, that was playing for him this year, that's covered him, probably just wished this all ended a little bit differently. Um, It didn't, (laughs) but it was still a great experience to be along with the team. I think they obviously he hasn't coached a game yet, but it's about as good of a hire as you could have made considering who was available and considering the timing of everything. They did a great job, I think, of getting out in front of it. And I think Coach Bray does deserve some credit in working with the university to announce 
that he was out. So it gave them a chance to have a head start and just get on that process. You, you don't want to miss out on the guy that you need to get in, in Coach Shrewsbury. So I'm looking truly at the roster right now. There's only four names on the Notre Dame page right now. So they they have some work to do, I know. But I think just when you look at college hoops, it's it's changed a lot. And you don't need, you know, with the portal, you only need a couple guys to kind of turn things around. I don't think we should have crazy expectations about year one. I think the fact that that he got such a lengthy contract is a good barometer to to everyone should just be calm and, and let this kind of develop. But Obviously, with Burton winning uh, State Player of the Year a couple of days ago, that's exciting. I think there's reasons to be – this program's historically been really solid, and I think there's no reason to think that Micah Shrewsbury is going to do anything than get them back going in the direction they should. Uh, I thought Coach Bray was really self-aware when he said in the press conference when he announced that, what, they made it 12 of their first 17 years to the NCAA tournament and then one of their last six that kind of means it's it's probably time to figure something else out. This is a team that should make it more often than it doesn't. And I think yeah. Michael Shrewsbury with his local ties, I think the NBA experience is actually really important now. It lets guys communicate to recruits, I think, in a way that is just different. I think you even see it like with Niel on the women's side. Like she spent that time with the Grizzlies. And I'm not privy to what kind of recruiting conversations she has, but I'm sure that she has NBA contacts in her phone. And I'm sure that's uh, it doesn't hurt. And so mm-hmm. with Coach Shrewsbury, I think that will go a long way. You get Brad Stevens endorsement. Um, that's never bad, especially in this area. So I'm excited to just see what it looks like. I, there's no reason to think they can't be, you know, somewhat competitive right away with the transfer portal. But the nice thing is that there shouldn't be any pressure this year to compete at a super high level. I think we get to just kind of watch it take shape here over the next 12 months and see where they they land really, I think, in a year from now. I, I am hopeful for sort of the sake of Notre Dame's basketball. Like there's there's a way to sort of reconnect the program to the fan base or especially locally. Um, because that you know, early in the Bray era, I feel like the, it was still the Joyce Center back then, but like it was it was full, like a lot. Not like rafters full, but you know, if you were playing then a big East game, you would expect there to be Nine, ten thousand people there, and I think that sort of the energy has sort of like been sucked out of it. And I, I, have, I'm hopeful that Shrewsbury can sort of interject some of that back in because, like, Northern basketball should be a draw locally. I mean, yeah, it, it's a basketball. St- I mean, we are in Indiana, right? I mean, yeah. it's a basketball state. Like, there's passionate hoops fans around here. I know that in this school, it comes in second behind football, and that's fine. I think that the thing you mentioned. um, and I'm sure there's a separate podcast we could talk about, you know, conferences and whatnot. But Big East, there were some of those teams, the the, the Catholic Big East schools that come in. Yeah. You know, there's a different I've seen it with hockey, doing the hockey games. When they jumped into the Big Ten, when you have these regional foes, if Michigan's in town, it doesn't matter what sport, you're gonna just get more people there. So there's just there's a schedule part of that too that I think plays into it at times. Um, but but again, it's like with anything. If they're playing well and there's a decent ACC team on the schedule, it should fill up. So I think that hitting the reset is great 23 years for for Mike Bray. Um, But I think that there should be a little bit more excitement, just a different energy 
on the sidelines, whatever that is. You know, I'm excited to see what a different coach looks like on the sidelines at Notre Dame. We got so used to the Mike Bray, loosest guy in college basketball, which which is awesome. But maybe we'll see something slightly different. It'll be it'll be just fun. And I would think that the community will come out and and want to check it out early on. I just hope that they all have the right perspective that it might take, you know, a, a year or two and don't write them off right away. I think maybe that's where the Indiana roots help. Um, and so, and, and some South Bend roots help too, because it's like you get a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt when you're like, oh, okay, kind of the one of us, one of us vibe, uh, with Shrewsbury. So maybe, maybe that will be part of it. I, I think you're right. The, the one of us thing, um, as a transplant to this area, I can, I can tell it's real. <laughs> if you, if I was going to ask, like, for how uh, miserable the weather was on Saturday for the Blue Goal game, it's not like anyone else there went to Pepperdine. Um, so it had to be like particularly bad for you. How I, I did want to pivot a little, like how like how you got to Notre Dame in the first place, because um, Pepperdine is a long way from South Bend, Indiana. It's split up into a part a part two of this. Um, <laughs> the, the, the the road the road to Notre Dame was uh, definitely unforeseen. Uh, I'll give you I'll give you the quickest version I can. So I, I grew up in Seattle and uh, ended up in in Pepperdine at, at Pepperdine on a campus that. You can't even believe it's true. Notre Dame is a beautiful campus. I really do think it's the second best campus in the country. Um, and anybody that went to Pepperdine will tell you that is the best campus in the country. And, and anybody that's visited will probably agree. So I got spoiled for four years. And then after uh, a couple of years, at just a like a tech startup, I actually, because I always wanted to get into broadcasting, doing what I'm doing now. So it's, it's all worked out. But I spent a couple of years working in Boston at Harvard in their video broadcast department. And that kind of gave me the skill set because I knew I wanted to get in somehow. So if you know how to produce stuff and put together videos that might help at these universities, a job opened up at Notre Dame uh, in 2016. And so I came out here. One of my first jobs at Notre Dame, low on the totem poles, go set up uh, during the four and eight season press conferences in the Goog with Brian Kelly. I go set up the camera, shoot the uh, interview. Hear Pete Sampson in row three or whatever ask his question, and then uh, we, you know, put stream those out to YouTube. And then over a five year stint with Fighting Irish Media is kind of then how I weaseled my way into some broadcast stuff with NBC. <laughs> uh, slowly was just uh, dropping hints to Jack Nolan about collecting Social Security, and you should really think about retirement. <laughs> you know that ar- that around the world cruise just like <laughs> have you looked into that? It's it it, uh, it it stops in three days. I think. I think they're docking okay. finally on Thursday. Yeah, uh, but I was slowly thinking of ways to get Jack to to quit his job so I can could take his uh, responsibilities. No, but um, that was that was kind of my path here. Just that, but because Notre Dame, I should say. Just I will say this is a plug for Notre Dame. In 2016, the ACC network was being built out on all these campuses. They were building control rooms, and then also the NBC connection. And so, from my vantage point in Boston, it was. You know, working at Harvard's great, but they don't have the anything close to what Notre Dame does as far as a resource or just coverage standpoint. I said, if I can go get my, you know, self to South Bend, ESPN's there all the time, NBC's there all the time. Over time, I can maybe weasel my way into some some work. And, and fortunately, with the help of a lot of people, I will say at Notre Dame that have advocated for me and put me in positions to get some of these opportunities. Uh, that's how it's kind of de- developed into to what it is now. Yeah, well, it's but I, I say this not because you're talking to me on this podcast right now. I think you do a great job, and I think my regular co-host Matt Fortuna would agree. Um, yeah, I thought the the Blue Gold game production was was good, and like hoops and the coaches show, like those are 
you know, it's like you're you're trying to present to your audience, right? But you also work for the university, so it's it you're you're trying to like serve a couple different um, masters, so to speak. There, and I think I think you do a very good job of like straddling the line of giving people what they need, but also you know making sure that you know Notre Dame's writing the checks. I, I appreciate you saying that because. We should, we should, yeah, make no illusions that there's, yeah, uh, I'm being funded by the the university in a lot of cases and people that have a vested interest in uh, painting things with the right shade. But to the, I think really to the credit of the coaches like Coach Freeman and BK, I only did one loss after a game with BK against Cincinnati, which was a really disappointing game. He was great after it. Um, Coach Bray, obviously, we had our tough year this year. He was great after it. A lot of it comes down to, I, I think on the outside, when you, when you, become a fan you just you live and die with everything and even these coaches whose jobs rely on it like they know like okay i can't live and die with this and, and also tony's not here to rake me over the coals he's actually the, the friendly guy that's going to put the spin on this so uh they deserve a lot of credit for helping me get through those but it's not just because i'm on this podcast i wanted to say that you and matt obviously do an awesome job with this and i also love uh i don't know if i can promote the other podcast but the irish illustrated one with yes. with priester and O'Malley. I mean, throughout the year, last really last two years when I dove more into covering football, super helpful. I mean, it's it's a weekly listen and it's just um it's and you guys aren't funded by the university like I am, but I, I think it's it's really our funding weird. would have been cut off a long time ago if that was the case. <laughs> it's it's uh I don't know. It's as somebody that's not from here. My parents were USC grads. Like before I got here, I do not care about Notre Dame. Now, of course, I have a vested interest, but I look at everything, I think, a little bit more rationally than the diehard fan. I want to say more rationally, more, um, let's just say, objectively. I'm not yeah. And so you're, I think your guys' podcasts are great because it's a very real, um, just take on everything. And again, when the, when the house is on fire last year with the emergency podcasts, um, those are fun to listen to, but but nobody was giving a better, more succinct and level-headed take than you guys. And that's super valuable because there's plenty of places you can go to find the um, not-so-level-headed take. So it's nice there's a home for, uh, for the calm and sensible reaction to what's going on at Notre Dame. Yeah, I, try, I feel like sometimes I'm part journalist, part psychiatrist sometimes with these podcasts. So it's, But I mean, that's... I, you know, I... Whether I'm speaking to alumni clubs or doing this, you know, podcast or just you know the the written work, like there is never a dull moment around Notre Dame, even when there should be a dull moment around Notre Dame. But like that is part of what makes the job so fascinating. Like I, I just don't think that covering another school would would ever be as interesting, regardless of their wins and losses, yeah. as covering Notre Dame because it's it's just such a unique one of a kind place. If you looked at any other nine and four football team this year you wouldn't have a 10th of the stories that you had at Notre no. Dame with, with what you had this year. It's like the least pedestrian, the most incredible nine and four you could ever think of. No, none of us predicted that, right? Lose, no. but lose to Marshall, but beat Clemson, but drop a weird one. I mean, just, and a first year head coach. And then, you know, like you said, you got to all three coaches, basketball, both basketballs and football have changed since the pandemic. Like there's just always, something going on there's you know from my standpoint like there's i'm always interested in the nbc relationship and then the acc network and, and all the moving parts with how their unique tv contract works but from your standpoint i'm sure like you could always wake up and think of okay here's something i can put pen to paper on with, with notre dame and that's what that's what makes it fun no doubt all right well tony thanks for uh stepping on and hanging out for 
It's been a while uh, here on the Shamrock today, talking blue gold game and everything else. Um, really appreciate the time, and hopefully we will uh, run into each other on a green somewhere this summer <laughs> around South Bend. I, I will try not to hit into you on the fairway. Yeah. Up ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll wait. <laughs> All right. Thanks again. And uh, appreciate everyone being here with us on the Shamrock today. Uh, thanks for listening.